True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Walk the Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up, what's up? Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, March 3rd. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White. No Chris Towers. He's out doing Dan Marino-type things on the flag football field. But we are here. And today on the show, we have format specialists to talk about. What does that mean? We're going to go over the players that excel in both head-to-head points leagues and then on the other side, Roto Category Leagues. And basically, what are the differences between these players? Also, Scott, a listener pointed out that I completely missed Luis Garcia. We did three starting pitcher previews, and I just missed him. (laughs) You know why you missed him? Why? He doesn't show up in Fantasy Pros ADP. That's exactly I think, right. I think there's some kind of uh, name conflict error between him and the second baseman, Luis Garcia of the Nationals. Oh, I found him, Scott. You know where I found him? He's where? 430th overall for some reason. I think it's There because, must be some kind of name conflict error, error yeah. from where they're pulling their data. Because I, I had that when I first uploaded my rankings to the site it actually bumped out the second base version of Luis Garcia and I had to add him back in later. So yeah, people with the same name, things go wrong. Fear not, Houston Astros fans. We will get to Luis Garcia. He's a pretty interesting pitcher too. Also fun pitcher to watch. He like rocks back and forth. He's like pretty interesting on the mound. He's got five different pitches. We'll talk about him a little bit later on in the podcast, but what's up, Scotty? How is your uh, TGFBI team going so far? I, I think pretty well. I think pretty well. I filled out my infield through 10 rounds, which is no small feat in a 15-team league. Uh, that All that depth at shortstop goes away very quickly. I was I was felt very fortunate to get Willie Adamas with my round nine pick after, uh, you know, all, all, the, all the big shortstops obviously were gone through Carlos Correa, then also Bobby Witt, but... Even Jake Cronenworth and Chris Taylor had gone before Willie Adamas. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was scary because so I took Christian Yelich in round eight, kind of a kind of a luxury pick for me. He's not somebody I usually count on, but he had lasted thirty picks beyond his ADP, and of course the upside is enormous. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to get a little bit greedy here. <laughs> Adamas, you know, my tears said Adamas was the right pick, but it it, it just seems wrong to take him with Yelich still on the board. And I figured, you know what, Chris Taylor, Jake Cronenworth, they're there. I can always fall back on them if somebody takes Adamas here. But then Taylor and Cronenworth went with the next two picks. And I'm like, what is going on here? So fortunately, I was able to get Adamas. And then on the way back in round 10, there was a run on closers. Craig Kimbrell, Blake Trinan, Corey Knebel, Mark Melanson. It was pretty much down to Camilo Duvall as the only expected save source who had the skill set befitting of the role, you know? Um, So I went ahead and took him in round 10. Didn't have a save source yet. I don't like drafting any save source as early as round 10, but when everybody else, you know, everybody else forced my hand because they went aggressively after the saves, which tends to happen in these 15-team leagues. So... 
so I went ahead and took Duvall. And that's where I'm that's where I'm at right now. I, I currently have two starting pitchers. I'm planning on taking my third once it gets to me in round eleven. I have Ranger Suarez queued up. I have Adam Wainwright queued up, Tyler Malley. Um, but my infield is full. I already have an outfielder in Yelich, and I have two starting pitchers and a closer. Mm, the brand is strong, Scotty. Ranger Suarez and Adam Wainwright in the queue. Yep. So we're gonna keep following along throughout the next couple of weeks or so. I think it's going to take a while for us to get through these drafts. Again, if you aren't aware of the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, it's a collection of 15-team, 5x5 Roto Leagues. We're all competing in separate leagues, but also against each other for an overall prize as well. Uh, Scott, I actually caught up to you a little bit. I'm in round 10 myself, and so far I've got Fernando Tatis, Tim Anderson, Aaron Judge. I've got Jorge Polanco at second base, Wilson Contreras as my first catcher, and the profit pocket baby, Josh Bell, my starting first baseman. You know I had to do it. Uh, and I just took my third starting pitcher. My pitching staff is a little shaky, but Freddie Peralta, Max Freed, and Framber Valdez. He is my SP3. I've got Will Smith as my first closer. I took him at the end of round six. So I kind of yeah. like the way it's coming along. I'm thinking about double tapping starting pitcher here, but we'll see what uh what the first overall pick does here. And uh, that will probably dictate what I do myself. But today on the show, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about format specialists. Scott wrote a great article. You can find it on the site, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. And uh, before we actually talk about these players, Scott, um, what is the biggest difference in players that you would target in a head-to-head points league versus a categories league, whether that's roto or head-to-head categories? Well, the big difference, just because it's such a scarcity in the game right now and, and essential to one of those formats, is stolen bases. Anybody who gives you even a modest number of stolen bases is going to have more value in Roto Leagues. I'm, I'm going to use Roto as shorthand, but really it's any league that uses 5 by 5 category scoring, which covers certain head-to-head leagues as well. Um, but I'm just going to call it Roto, and you'll understand what I'm saying when I do that. Yeah, any, anyone who, who gives you any amount of stolen bases sees their value pushed up in Roto Leagues. Anybody who gives you a lot of stolen bases tends to go a lot earlier in Roto Leagues than they do in Points Leagues. So that's the number one factor between the two formats. But it is worth pointing out that stolen bases are worth two points apiece, at least in, in standard CBS Points League scoring. So it it's not... It's not necessarily the case that you're burying the big base dealers in points leagues. It's just that they don't they don't demand the same sort of premium. The second differentiator, I think, between the two formats is plate discipline for hitters, uh, strikeout rate, walk rate. Those do not have a direct effect on rotisserie scoring. Yes, a high walk rate will generally lead to more runs scored. Yes, a low strikeout rate will generally lead to a higher batting average. But normally those are already baked into a player's roto cost. So there's there's no need to um, to really emphasize it. But in points leagues, walks are worth one point apiece. Strikeouts are worth minus half a point apiece. And a player with terrible plate discipline can definitely suffer because of it while a player with great plate discipline can stand out. So that's the second factor. You have additional factors like doubles and triples are rewarded in a points league and they're not in a roto league. So, you know, a guy like Brian Reynolds who may not have a high home run total, but will have a lot of extra base hits in general can, can see his points league value rise because of that, but not as significantly as those other two factors I mentioned and then for pitchers, high-volume guys stand out in points leagues in a way they don't in Roto. Volume, of course, matters in Roto, but not in that direct way it does in points where every inning is three points apiece. On the other hand, strikeouts are devalued in points leagues while they're 20% of a pitcher's production in Roto. So a guy like Marcus Stroman stands out as being much more valuable in points leagues than he is in Roto. And uh, that that's probably the biggest difference there. I, I, I find that there's more difference between the two formats within the hitter ranks than within the pitcher ranks. All right. And, you know, you mentioned Brian Reynolds and the extra base 
hits that he had from last year and how that helps him in a points league. I always find it so interesting that he was tied for the league lead with eight triples last year. Just blows my mind. Like, you know, he's not, he's a pretty athletic dude. It's, I don't think, I don't think anyone considers Brian Reynolds fast per se, but you know, I guess playing in a bigger park, you know, you could find those alleys where, where, you know, he could leg out some triples. He was tied with two other players. Shohei Otani makes sense. Scott, I can give you a hundred guesses as to the other player tied for the league lead in triples, you will never get it. You know, I think I've seen it before, actually, but I don't remember. Because <laughs> I remember, I, I saw on Twitter somebody was comparing it to that year Evan Gaddis randomly had a bunch of triples for the Astros. Right. So I want to say it's a slow Astros player, like Jordan Alvarez or something, but I don't know. Who is it? It is David Peralta. Okay. From the Arizona Diamondbacks. I don't even know if he's slow or not. Yeah, that, that that's not at all who I was thinking. Jeez, that is, that is a that's kind of a blast from the past name, right? Like, when's the last time anybody <laughs> cared about David Peralta in oh, fantasy? Poor guy, sixty fourth percentile sprint speed. Honestly, would have never guessed that for David Peralta either. Well, I was going to point out Brian Reynolds, eighty eighth percentile sprint speed. Wow. Let's the, let's get this guy going on the base paths. We need more than five stolen bases from you, buddy. So you know how we talk about Scott? There's a lot of variance in the players that can steal, you know, anywhere from 8 to 15. Mm-hmm. I think when you see that for Brian Reynolds, you know, he's fast enough. He's got the skill. I wouldn't surprise me if he bumps up to like 10 or 12 steals this year. I would say, I, I would agree that that's definitely within his skill set, but he's just shown no inclination to do it. Right. So there's no way you can factor that into your fantasy fantasy analysis of him. I mean, even in the minors where players tend to run freely. He never had more than five stolen bases in a season, it doesn't look like. Yeah, and he was pretty inefficient as well. So, yeah. (laughs) All right, maybe forget everything that I just said. I'm happy that you mentioned the uh, head-to-head point scoring. So this is according to CBS, of course. So I'll just run through these here, and then we'll start talking about the players. For hitters, one point for each of a single, a walk, a hit-by-pitch, a run scored, and an RBI. Two points for a double, three points for a triple, four points for a home run. But of course, you know, if you hit a home run, you get the run in the RBI. So it's actually six points. Uh, And then it's just two points for a stolen base. Hitters lose half a point for strikeouts. So again, you want strong plate discipline. You want home runs. Makes a lot of sense there. Uh, You also want volume. So more plate appearances equals more opportunities for fantasy value, which seems obvious. But I like to target hitters that are in the top half of strong lineups just because they have more opportunities to score fantasy points, score runs, obviously get on base. I think that makes sense. Uh, For pitchers, it's one point per out, so three points per inning, half a point for a strikeout, uh, three points for a quality start, seven points for a win, seven points for a save. What causes you to lose points as a pitcher on CBS? Minus one for each of a hit allowed, run allowed, walk allowed, or a hit batter, and minus five for a loss. And as Scott mentioned, you want volume. Innings matter more than strikeouts in this format. Just make sure you know your scoring system because I'm sure there are many different sure. points leagues out there and they have different scoring setups. Uh, so just make sure yeah. you know your, your point scoring system inside and out. And I'm not saying this just because I work for CBS, but I've played on CBS my entire fantasy baseball life, basically. And I truly do like the scoring format. So I would encourage everyone yes. to to mock it. I my longest fantasy baseball league, the one I've been playing in since high school, penalizes a full point for a strikeout for a hitter. Wow! And, and also rewards a full point for a strikeout for a pitcher. So strikeouts matter, matter much more in that format. But with every hitter losing a full point for every strikeout, it makes the it makes the pool of usable hitters so thin. Like it it just devastates it. Which is it kind of it kind of works in its favor because it's a ten team league and, and with standard head to head lineups only three outfielders so it's it's a shallow league uh, so it kind of creates this artificial scarcity that maybe is useful in a ten team league but I, I remember when I first started the the twenty four team Scott White Dynasty League and you know I invited people from that that league of mine and, and one of them was like hey hey don't you want to use the scoring from our other league instead of this standard CBS scoring. And I was like, no, you, you have no idea. <laughs> you, hitting stretched that thin in a 2014. Oh my gosh. It Oof. would be, 
yeah, it would, it would, it would, it would be a problem for sure. Yeah, the the way that strikeouts run rampant in baseball nowadays, Joey Gallo is probably like unusable in that format. Yeah, he is. Yeah, so it's absolutely that's rough. All right, so let's jump into catcher here, Scotty, and you have obviously one standout for each in a head-to-head points league. It's Cabert Ruiz, and in a roto categories league, it is Dalton Varsho. And you know, I think based on everything that we've been saying uh, leading up to this point, it it, it makes sense. But uh, what are you expecting from those two guys? this year in those respective formats. So Kbert Ruiz, the best thing he does is make tons of contact. He does not strike out in a way that I think really the only catcher who compares is, is Yadier Molina. Um, but I, I think Kbert Ruiz is going to Kbert Ruiz is going to strike out even less frequently than that. I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be one of the most, infrequent striker outers among all hitters like 10% strikeout rate he had less than that really in his 29 games in the majors last year so it almost doesn't matter how much home how much power he provides in a points league if he's striking out that infrequently as long as he's hitting well enough to keep the job to to start you know two-thirds to three-quarters of the games for the Nationals, he's going to be a top-ten catcher in points leagues. And uh, I can't say the same. He may be in Roto, too. You know, he had a big... He saw a big surge in home runs in the minors last year. So if if that carries over to the majors, and there's some question whether it will, because he doesn't impact the ball that hard on average. Uh, But yeah, it's it's not going to matter so much in points leagues. Meanwhile, Dalton Varsho, it's pretty simple. He's the only catcher who's capable of stealing 15 to 20 bases. He'll, he'll probably be the only catcher who steals double-digit bases. I know JT Real Muto did, I'm pretty sure he did last year, but that was I think first he time had, I think he had 13 last year. Yeah, but that was the first time he's ever done that, and obviously catchers just as a rule don't run. Varsha will. He did through, oh, I take that back. Real Muto did twice in his career. He also did in 2016 for the Marlins. Uh, but yeah, Varsha will run maybe enough to even steal 20 bases. It kind of depends on the playing time. And that playing time question is also why I think he's valued more in, in Roto than, than points leagues, because as you mentioned, volume is more important, important in points leagues. Uh, but, but if Varsho does meet his full upside, then he'll be valuable in both. I feel pretty confident saying yeah, if you look at the minor league numbers too, he he's had decent walk and strikeout rate. So I would agree with that. If if he's if he's good, he's going to be really good for both. But those steals are obviously much more valuable in roto category leagues. I, can, can we mention the honorable mentions for these? Yeah, at these positions too. I think it's worth getting into. Yasmani Grandal is my honorable mention in points leagues, and of course, Yasmani Grandal straight up is more valuable than Kbert Ruiz. I, I want to point that out as well, just because, you know, the the first team player for the all-roto team and the all-head-to-head team is the most representative player at each of those positions. That doesn't mean they're the best player. Just just want to mention that. Uh, but Yas- Yasmani Grandal, with as much as he walks, he actually averaged more head-to-head points per game last year than even Salvador Perez. Doesn't mean I take him over Salvador Perez in points leagues, but per game, Grandal was actually better last year. And then uh, in Roto, the honorable mention is Mike Zunino as an all or not, like literally all or nothing power guy. You're look you're looking for any help in any category once you get once it gets late in a roto draft and and hopefully he's capable of providing that when he'll probably be useless in points leagues. All right, let's move on over to first base where we have Reese Hoskins as the standout in head to head points league points leagues and then Jose Abreu on the roto categories side of things. Scott Reese Hoskins 360 OBP for his career a 14 percent walk rate. Uh, the strikeout is obviously prevalent. It's just a matter of, you know, can this guy stay healthy? So if he does that, I, I have no doubts that he's going to be awesome in this format. Yes, in this format, it's safe to say he's going to be awesome. He actually had his worst year by far for walks last year, only, only a 10% rate when normally he's around 15. 
And yet, head-to-head points per game for him last year, 3.21. That was more than Pete Alonso. So this is clearly a good format for Reese Hoskins. If he hits 230 with as much as he walks, and by the way, he led the majors, or he led the NL with 116 walks in 2019. So with as much as he walks, you know, it, it really doesn't matter what he produces in batting average. He's going to be worth starting in points leagues. Roto, you know, there's so many lineup spots to fill that he's probably going to be worth starting there as well. But the the batting average, the likelihood of him hitting less than 250 is going to pull him down in the rankings some. Scott, you mentioned uh, Pete Alonso and Reese Hoskins having, you know, nearly the same amount of fantasy points per game. In head-to-head points, would you rather have Alonzo in the fifth round? His ADP right now is right at the 4-5 turn, but let's say Alonzo in the fifth or Reese Hoskins in the 11th round where he goes right now. In points leagues, I'd rather have Reese Hoskins in the 11th. All right, let's move. I would not rather have Hoskins straight up. Oh, for sure. No, I know that's not what you were asking. Right, right. I don't want to confuse people since I was pointing out Hoskins average more head-to-head points per game than than uh, Alonzo. There are a number of ways I think Alonzo kind of got screwed last year. And I, I still would say he has more upside in points leagues than than Hoskins does. But it just it just goes to show you the gap is much narrower in that format. Yeah, it's, you know, would you rather have whatever starting pitcher is available in the fifth round and Hoskins versus Pete Alonzo and whatever whatever starting pitcher is available in the 11th round? And I think in that format, more often than not, we would we would take the Hoskins side of things there. Roto and categories, Jose Abreu doesn't walk much in his career, though I will point out he had a career-high walk rate last year, but uh, for his career, just a 6.7% walk rate, uh, known for being a better batting average contributor, but... Even with that, Scotty, I mean, Jose Abreu's getting up there in age. I'm not really sure what we should expect from a batting average perspective in 2022. Yeah, so kind of an interesting case here. He has long been kind of the representative first baseman for this format, and he is one of the first basemen who, in my tiers, I, I tier him differently based on the two formats. But you pointed it out yourself. Batting average dropped last year. The walk rate went up substantially. So if that if if that becomes a trend instead of just a one-year phenomenon, then his value is going to be pretty similar between the two formats. So he may be trending that way of being less of a standout specifically in rotisserie and and more just a pretty good starter in both formats. Uh, but actually First base doesn't have as many standouts right now at, in, in Roto Leagues as I feel like it does in points leagues. I mean, you have so many high walk guys in points leagues. Matt Olson's more valuable in points leagues. Joey Votto's more valuable in points leagues. Max Muncy, of course, would probably be the representative in points leagues if not for the concerns about his elbow. Uh, in Roto Leagues, poor plate discipline first baseman. You know, I, I got Jared Walsh as the honorable mention here. I guess I could have gone Ryan Mountcastle as well because neither of them walks much. But I don't, just in general, I, I don't like either that much for 2022, regardless of format, because I feel like they both overachieved last year. Oh, one more I wanted to mention. Yuli Gurriel, significantly better in points leagues. Obviously, you just want him to score points any way he can. You don't really care how many home runs he gets. He strikes out so infrequently that even with the modest number of home runs he hit last year, 3.07 head-to-head points per game. Uh, that was, let's see, what's a good comparison for that? 3.07, well, it was more than Jared Walsh, 2.90. Pete Alonso was only 3.16, and there Yuli Gurriel was at 3.07. So... Yuli Gurriel, I would say, is a points league standout as well. Yeah, great plate discipline for Yuli. Lots of doubles. Going to drive in a lot of runs at the in the top half of a really strong lineup. Eh, is he going to be in the top half? Yeah, he'll probably bat like fifth or, fifth or sixth, something like that for Yuli. Let's move over to second base guy. You already mentioned Max Muncy, who we spoke about yesterday on the mock draft that we were doing as well. Obviously dealing with this elbow injury, but... Another one who walks a lot. 371 OBP since joining the Dodgers in 2018. That is tied for 17th best in the MLB. And, you know, I was looking through ADP, Scott, and I'm trying to figure out 
let's say you want to take the shot on Muncie. Who is a good player to pair him with late in your draft? You know, just as like an insurance policy. So I was scrolling through and lo and behold, I, I fall back on Gene Segura once again. It's, it just seems like a, a fine option. But uh, yeah, look, if I'm doing any drafting of Max Muncie, Scott, I want to make sure that I have a nice, ins- a nice insurance policy behind him. Now, are you talking for points league specifically or just in general? I, I mean, I think Gene Segura is fine for either format. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you know of a better late round points league second baseman, then throw my way. Well, it's hard to gauge what exactly qualifies as a late rounder of points league because we're, you know, we so often work off of Roto ADP data. Right. DJ LeMahieu is somebody who would probably be more valuable in points leagues, but I, I don't know if, if you could qual- call him a late rounder. I think Eduardo Escobar is okay. I don't know that you need to actually invest a roster spot in him in your draft. I think most points leagues are so shallow that you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. So, Honestly, I'm not sure I would pair a guy with Muncie in points leagues. I would just see how it goes, and if I need to replace somebody, I, I could do it capably enough off the waiver wire. Obviously not with the kind of upside Muncie would provide. But, you know, the shallower the league, the more worthwhile it is to take a risk on somebody as dangerous as Max Muncie. Who would Jonathan you- India, by the way, is the honorable mention in points leagues. Another good plate discipline guy who doesn't, necessarily excel in the counting stats. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to ask you next. Who is the honorable mention? Yeah, I think it was a double-digit walk rate for Jonathan India last year. Solid lineup, really good ballpark. Uh, should get on base quite a bit there. In Roto and categories, the standout you have here, Javier Baez makes a ton of sense. Decada walk rate is awful. 5% walk rate for his career. And last year had a career-high 33.6% strikeout rate, uh, but lots of home mm-hmm. runs and lots of steals, so that yep. props him up quite a bit in that format. He finished 36th overall in Roto last season. It was it was an awesome year. That, yeah, that's a huge difference between those two formats. I mean, a 31 homer, 18 steal guy who wasn't that bad in batting average either. Uh, you'd think that would automatically be a fantasy stud, but the plate discipline is, is just so dreadful for Javier Baez. He averaged 2.86 head-to-head points per game last year. That was less than Jake Cronenworth. Uh, it was substantially less than like Jorge Polanco. Uh, it was almost a full point less than uh, somebody like Jose Altuve. 2.86 head-to-head points per game for Javier Baez. Here, here's a good comparison. Ty France was 2.84, so almost identical. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> most most times when you're thinking about Javier Baez, you're probably not putting Ty France in the same uh, category as him from a fantasy perspective. But again, uh, that's that's the point of doing this. Uh, uh, the honorable mentions that you have here, Scotty, are Jazz Chisholm and Tommy Edmond. And I think it makes sense. It's, you know, lots of uh, stolen bases for those guys, but probably a lower walk rate than you'd like. Yeah, in, in both cases. And and the lack of power hurts Edmund. Uh, Chisholm, obviously the strikeout rate is going to be draining his uh, point production there. Edmund, though, was actually better in points leagues last year than I, I think a lot of people would realize. Still more valuable in Roto, but not useless in points leagues. Somebody that you could potentially draft late as a starter if if you don't invest big at either of the positions where he's eligible. All right, Scott, last question here at second base. Uh, Javier Baez and Brandon Laub have the same exact ADP on Fantasy Pro, 70.4. Who would you rather have in a categories league? I'm sorry, who were they again? Javier Baez versus Brandon Lau. In a categories league, I have Lau quite a bit higher. Okay. Though obviously Baez provides some steals that Lau won't. So it kind of depends on what sort of team you're putting together. But yeah, I would, I would definitely just... Everything else being equal, I'd take Lau. Third base, and I think this one might be the most obvious uh, distinctions between the two uh, so far. In a head-to-head points league, Alex Bregman excels. He has a 12.5% walk rate, 377 OBP. We've got to see how he responds to having surgery in the offseason. And then in categories, Adalberto Mondesi has 114 steals since 2018. That is the fourth most in baseball, 
and he did it in just 271 games. Each of the three players ahead of him in that span, in steals, have each played at least 458 games. So 458 yeah. versus 271, and Mondesi is still fourth in baseball in steals. Um, there's no denying his skill set. It's just he can't stay healthy. Uh, so yeah, Scott, talk to me about the differences between Bregman and, and Mondesi. Yeah, I mean, if Mondesi stays healthy, he's going to double up the field in stolen bases. And given the premium placed on stolen bases these days in Roto Leagues, it's it's obvious he's he's still a prized commodity in that format, even if he's lost some of his luster because of the injuries over the years. He's liable to go 10 rounds later in a points league, like probably just a late-round pick. Which, you know, if he stays healthy, he's he's probably going to be a deserving starter in points leagues. But less than a stud because the plate discipline is horrible. Um, But there is, you know, there is power speed there. Like he could be a 20 homer 60 steel guy if he stayed healthy. And even with the poor plate discipline, that would, that would add up to enough to make him worthwhile in points leagues. Bregman, as you mentioned, one of the best on base guys over the past, well, not just on base, but low strikeout rate too. Over the past, let's see where it is. Oh, I think it's like over the past four seasons, he has more walks than strikeouts or something like that. I know he had that in both 2018 and 2019. Yeah. So yeah. that would make sense because he hasn't played many games uh, in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, I thought I had the exact stat here. But anyway, he is somebody who I tier higher in points leagues. I tier him with. Austin Riley and Nolan Arenado. Like, I'm just as satisfied to get Bregman as I am to get those guys in that format because I'm not confident he's going to be more than a 20, 25 homer guy now, though, provided he stays healthy. I don't value him quite the same as I used to in Roto. And similarly, Anthony Rendon. He's also been a guy whose walk to strikeout rate has been somewhere in the neighborhood of one to one in recent years, and that's elevated him in points leagues. And if he's going to have, if, if there are concerns now about his power output like there are for Bregman, it's it's going to hurt him in a way, in Roto in a way it doesn't in points leagues. I also have Jamer Candelario as an honorable mention for points leagues. He was the major league leader in doubles last year, which are not rewarded at all in Roto leagues other than maybe the effect they have on RBI and runs scored. Uh, but they're directly rewarded in points leagues. I, and, uh, I pointed that out to Nando DeFino once, and he yelled at me. Uh, He's like, what do you mean, Frank? They could drive someone in. They could score a run easier. They're on second base. I'm like, yeah, but they don't really matter more. So Plus, <laughs> runs in RBI also count in points leagues. Of so course. You're, you're, you're not getting any additional effect in Roto Leagues. Uh, that you aren't getting in points leagues for those doubles. Yeah, Candelario, 42 doubles last year. That led the majors. Only 16 home runs, so it's hard to justify a corner infielder who's not going to get you 20 in a roto league. But with that many doubles, I would say Jamar Candelario is a fringe starter in points leagues. All right, and the honorable mention you have in categories leagues at third base is Cabrian Hayes, who had six homers and nine steals in just 96 games last year. So... Could be someone that goes, you know, 15-15 at third base, which is pretty rare. I mean, you don't really get a lot of steals from your third baseman unless you get Jose Ramirez or uh, obviously Manny Machado earlier on in your drafts. Scott, I'm probably not going to draft Cabrian Hayes at his ADP because it's higher than I think most people would expect. I'll pull that up. But it's about the same as it was last year. He's somebody that I'm so interested to watch this year, though. Eventually, hopefully. Um yeah. I just want to. I want to see if last year was a fluke because of the wrist injury. You know, he got off to an awesome start. I think it was like whatever first two or three games hits a home run. But man, I he's someone I really want to watch this year. Very interested to see uh, Kip Ryan Hayes. Let's move on over to shortstop and head-to-head points. No surprise, Wander Franco, who had a 43-game on-base streak, tied Frank Robinson for the longest streak by a player 20 years old or younger, and then on the other side, Roto and categories, the standout here, Tim Anderson, his 322 batting average since 2019 leads all qualified hitters. However, in his career, he's got just a 3.5% walk rate, a 314 OBP. I think this makes a lot of sense, Scotty. Yeah, Tim Anderson was built for the 5x5 format. 
right? I mean, the, the, the standout batting average, which has no direct value in a points league, contributing a decent number of home runs and stolen bases. But yeah, the, that, that plate discipline really hurts him in points leagues. He's still worth starting. I mean, he's, he should be starting for somebody in a points league. But he, he doesn't really stand out among the crowd like he does in Roto. And yeah, Wander Franco, like obviously we have a lot of hope for him in all formats. Him taking a big step forward and uh, potentially emerging as a first round caliber bat. But drafting him early in Roto Leagues is relying on him to take a step forward as a power hitter that he may not be ready to take yet. He doesn't need to do that in points leagues. His plate discipline is so good. Over the final two months, August and September, he actually walked more than he struck out. 14 walks to 11 strikeouts. That is unheard of for a player who, at the time, was only 20 years old. I mean, that I, I, don't, I can't think of a modern comp for that. And um, because of that, he averaged 3.32 head-to-head points per game last year. That, that Basically exactly the same as Corey Seager. More than Xander Bogarts. More than Carlos Correa. He was uh, already he's already a stud in points leagues, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he was absolutely ridiculous. Scott, how many shortstops would you take ahead of Wander Franco in a points league this season? Tatis, Trey Turner, Bo Bichette, Marcus Simeon, I would say, even though I obviously have doubts about his ability to sustain last year's numbers. And I would take Xander Bogarts and Corey Seager over him, but I think they're in the same range. It's close. It is close. I've I've got him fifth in my uh, points league rankings. You have him seventh. So we're, we're close on Wander. Uh, the difference are, are the, the Rangers guys. It's Marcus Semien and, and Corey okay. Seager. I've got both of those guys behind him. I'd still trust Bogarts. I know kind of fell off in the second half, but the track record, plate discipline, hits a lot of doubles. He's awesome. He's been a standout in points leagues forever too. So uh, I'll still take Bogarts ahead of him, but man, once we get into that four, late fourth, early fifth round range, I've got my eye on Wander Franco in that format. Uh, how about the... Honorable mentions. Oh, I just <laughs> mentioned one without even knowing. Sander Bogart, your honorable yep. mention in a points league. Yeah, he has pretty good plate discipline. Not amazing, but pretty good. And I do have questions about his power production with the new ball, too. The only 30 homer season he's had was that 2019 season when the ball was at its juiciest and everybody was setting career highs in home runs. And then he regressed to 23 home runs last year. So if he doesn't, if, if he's more of a 20, 25 homer guy than a 30 homer guy, he's probably being overdrafted in roto leagues, frankly. Even though, you know, stable batting average, really stable across the board, but just not, probably not an ups, enough upside to justify the early round pick. I, I think it's easier justified in a points league. All right. And the honorable mention in categories leagues at shortstop, you have Nicky Lopez, who you've talked about quite a bit, just. Yep. Uh, spoke about him yesterday on our mock draft. Yep. Where, Two category specialists, yep. but not strong enough across the board to impact points leagues, really. Yeah, I mean, he is going to be really bad in power. So home yep. runs, RBI, he's going to give you next to nothing. So keep that in mind if you want to draft him. But, you know, the run scored might be okay as well. So he's probably like a two and a half category player. But yeah, yeah I sure. mean, to find batting average and steals late, it's, it's no easy task in a categories league. It is March. You know what that means. Madness. Fantasy Baseball Today is running our very own college basketball bracket contest later this month. We've got a special prize for the winner, too. Uh, we haven't announced FBT Listener Leagues yet, for obvious reasons. But if you finish first place in this contest, we will let you pick a spot in either of our Listener Leagues. So that is a 12-team head-to-head points league or a 16-team, I believe 16-team head-to-head categories league. That is the four of the people league that our buddy Heath Cummings made way back in the day. The link to join is cbssports.com slash FBT brackets. You can find it in the podcast and the YouTube description if you'd like to join up. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll come back with Outfield here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. All right, Scott, so let's take a look at the outfield position, and we will start off with the points leaguers. And uh, since there's three players per category, let's focus on one at a time, uh, and we'll start with the points leagues. Juan Soto, Jesse Winker, and the aforementioned Brian Reynolds. They really excel in this format. Yeah, they do. I mean, Juan Soto is the preeminent on-base guy in the majors right now. The only ones who come close, really, are Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Juan Soto reached base at a 525 clip in the second half last year. So really, he's the best on-base guy we've seen since Barry Bonds, I think. And uh, I, I think it makes him the obvious number one choice in points leagues, even though he's, you know, he's still a top five choice in, in roto leagues, but... I don't think many people are taking him number one overall in that format. Uh, go on to the next one, Jesse Winker. Yep. Jesse Winker averaged 3.70 head-to-head points per game last year. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I sold him short. 3.72 head-to-head points per game last year. Among players with at least as many at-bats as he had, only... Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, and Bryce Harper were higher than Jesse Winker. And, you know, guy gets on base a lot. That's really what it comes down to. Now, there is a, there is the issue still for him, and, and it, it's probably even more concerning in points leagues than Roto, that he's so bad against left-handed pitchers that maybe he just becomes a platoon player or a semi-platoon player. So, you know, I, I don't think he deserves to be even one of the top 12 outfielders off the board in points leagues. But he's right on the verge of top 15 for me in that format. And obviously he's well behind that in uh, in Roto Leagues. All right, and yeah. yeah we, are, we talked about Bryce Hart, uh, Brian Reynolds with all the extra base hits. He's a pretty good plate discipline too. Plate discipline guy as well, for what it's worth. Jesse Winker, you have 18th in your... Head-to-head points rankings. One spot ahead of Nick Cassianos. Scott, if you're on the clock, you're really taking Winker ahead of Cassianos? I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good question. It really, like, I mean, obviously, Cassianos' ultimate value hinges on where he signs. If he goes to a place with a big park, yeah, I probably am. Yeah, we keep hearing these rumors that apparently the Marlins were interested in signing Nick Cassianos uh, before yeah, the lockout. That would not be a great fit. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to happen now. I mean, Derek Jeter left the organization. There were rumors that he wanted to spend money. They wouldn't let him spend money. So, I don't know. Are the Marlins really going to sign Nick Cassianos? I don't think so. I think he probably winds up with, like, the Phillies, which would be pretty awesome. Yeah, that would be good. Brewers would be good. Rockies would be good, obviously. (laughs) Someone someone is going to wind up with the Rockies, Scott. I don't know who it's going to be. Cassianos, Schwarber. I've heard Chris Bryant rumors. Whoever gets it, oh man, that is, we're talking about like a multi-round jump in fantasy value, regardless of who winds up there. In a categories league, here are your standouts at the outfield position. Randy Arozarena, obviously lots of strikeouts, but gives you a little bit of power, some speed. Miles Straw, lots of speed. He actually walks a lot as well, so uh, better OBP than you'd imagine, but really does not do much other than steal bases. Uh, and then Akil Badu, 
I like the skill set, Scott, for Akil Badu, and he started to walk more as the season went on. I worry more about the playing time with Badu than anything because he struggles so much against left-handed pitching. Yeah, that's fair. I think the skill set is very similar to Randy Rosarena, though. I pointed it out on yesterday's podcast, and Chris has pointed it out before. If Rosarena takes the sort of step back, I know Chris and I are expecting from him, and Badu is able to get consistent playing time, stats might not be that different. They might not be that different. I think I could sum up these three Roto standouts, Rosarena, Straw, Badu. In as simply as they're all being elevated, all being elevated in roto leagues for their base stealing ability. Straw being the most extreme example, since he provides virtually no power, sort of like Nicky Lopez, who we were talking about earlier. Uh, but Arosa Arena and Badu also, because I mean, in a points league, Badu really doesn't register, and Arosa Arena. Again, because we feel like he overachieved in batting average and home runs last year. He, he may not register this year. As it is, 2.99 head-to-head points per game last year. Um, that, that made him pretty borderline. I mean, a deserving starter, but pretty borderline. A, a narrow margin for error. 2.99. I mean, Hunter Renfro was 2.96. Robbie Grossman was 2.88. So... You know, a Rosa Reina really doesn't have much room. He can't afford to, uh, his production can't afford to fall off much before he becomes not even really a viable starter in a 12-team points league. All right, the honorable mentions in the outfield. In a points league, Alex Verdugo and Michael Brantley both should hit for a good batting average, strong plate discipline, a good amount of doubles for both as well. And then honorable mention in... Uh, categories leagues, Adolis Garcia with the Texas Rangers, who has a bunch of power and speed, but the plate discipline, the K to walk ratio is terrible. I mean, we're talking about like Javier Baez levels of plate discipline from Adolis Garcia. Let's move over to the pitcher side of things, Scotty. And at starting pitcher in a points league, you've got Sandy Alcantara, Jose Barrios, Framber Valdez, Adam Wainwright, and Marcus Stroman as the standouts in that format. With the uh, exception of Stroman, the other four ranked top 12 in innings pitched per start last season. They each averaged six or more. And I know you brought this up about Stroman, Scott, how his innings pitched per start was lower last year. Someone pointed this out. I think it was in a a YouTube comment or maybe an email. He had two starts last year with one inning pitched or less. And he didn't struggle in those starts. So I... I think I remember he got ejected in one start. He might have got ejected in two different starts last year because it didn't make sense. He wasn't getting blown up. Maybe it was an injury or something, but I think that really brought down his innings pitch per start, Marcus Stroman, because as I looked mm-hmm. through the game log, it, it looked pretty good. There was a lot of sixes in there, a few sevens. I think I saw like one or two yeah, eights. So. He, had a, he had a 10 start stretch where he didn't go six innings even once. Oh, all right. So, yeah, I wasn't. He he started out fine and he he ended okay, and and maybe it was just a weird stretch and I'm, I was making too much of it. Certainly the two one inning starts doesn't help the overall average. Yeah, but yeah, the game log has has its down <laughs> has its down points too, for sure. Uh, Scott, if you wound up with this rotation in a points league, how would you feel? Sandy, Barrios, Valdez, Wainwright, Stroman, twelve team points league. Yeah, I'd want it to be stronger than that. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I, I think again, this th- these picks are the most representative for their formats, and obviously they're much. You know, the pitchers that are good in both formats are not represented here because <laughs> we just know they're good, and and that's the majority of pitchers. Like I was saying at the top of the podcast, uh, I, I think there are more distinctions between the two formats in the hitter ranks than in the pitcher ranks. So, you know, the highest ranked pitcher, I, I think I only have two of my top 15 mentioned on either of these lists because yeah, I mean, the good pitchers just, are just good regardless of the format. So yeah, I mean, Sandy Alcantara, Jose Barrios, we're, we're kind of missing a true number two there and probably missing a true number Four there as well for a points league, having Fromber Valdez uh, and Adam Wainwright. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I would want it to be a little stronger than this, sure. All right, the honorable mentions in a points league, you got Kyle Hendricks and Zach Greinke, no surprise, guys you've been talking about all off offseason. And then in a categories league, here are the five standouts. You've got Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Dylan Cease, Shane McClanahan, and Blake Snell. Obviously, this doesn't mean these pitchers will be useless in a points league. Corbin Burns is still going to be you know, an awesome pitcher. Regardless, A lot of these guys are going to be awesome, but... We do have some questions about workload, Scotty, when it comes to these guys, and uh, it seems like we could depend on them for ratios and strikeouts. But again, you know, the work the workload is what we worry about here. Yeah, and with this particular group, I feel like it's less about oh, they're really good in roto compared to head to head than they're not so great in head to head compared to roto, which obviously Corbin Burns is great both but but the, if we do have a question about him it's it's how many innings he's going to accumulate and innings are important in points leagues so it, in points leagues it might be the difference between him being top five and top 10 how many innings he provides us but in roto you don't really worry about it because the ratios you expect to be so great and freddie peralta is kind of in that category as well i'd say it's not like i'm avoiding freddie peralta in points leagues Dylan Cease, Shane McClanahan, Blake Snell. I mean, certainly there's a point when I take them in points leagues, but it feels like it feels like a little bit of a resignation in that format because I'm just not confident they're going to give you the the workload with the sort of consistency you need to make them a regular part of your starting five. Relief pitcher, let's wrap up here. Head-to-head points, you've got two Sparps, and I think it makes sense. Your boy, Ranger Danger, Ranger Suarez, and then Cal Quantrill. Again, these are starting pitchers who have relief pitcher eligibility in a points league. The volume, the innings that they provide, it's just more consistent than what you'll get from a closer on a week-to-week basis because obviously saves, they come so infrequently and so random, uh, if we're being honest, that you know, you'd rather have a starting pitcher in those spot- spots if you can. Scotty. Yeah, if, if he's a competent starting pitcher who can right. pitch a lot of innings. Yeah, you, you probably don't want to force Jose Quintana in there just for the sake of right. having a spark. Right. Uh, I, I realize we probably haven't talked about Cal Quantrill enough this offseason. What do you think the expectations are for him this upcoming season? He was awesome last year, really strong at uh, suppressing hard contact, but doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. The walks are okay. What are your expectations for yeah. Cal Quantrill? So he has he's that bad combination of a low strikeout rate and a uh, I don't remember exactly what his ground ball rate is, but it's not high. It's not high. So he's not making up for the lack of strikeouts with a bunch of ground balls. And yet he succeeded in spite of it. Ended up with a 289 ERA. Had a 194 ERA over his final 14 starts. And over his final 13 starts, every single one of them was six innings or more. Oof. So I'm not hope. I'm, I'm not really that hopeful he's going to be able to repeat that kind of run he was on to in last season. But with the advantage he would give you in, in an RP spot in a points league, I think it's worth taking the chance that he will uh, because you know, clearly he's capable of pitching deep into games. If he if he's, does a good enough job keeping runs off the board that, that he stays in that role for the whole season, he'll probably be, he'll probably be a worthwhile reliever <laughs> funny to say that reliever for you in a points league all right yeah, in a roto league though i don't really think it's I, I don't think the upside of that sort of gimmick of of playing him out of position in a points league uh i i don't think that when you remove that from the equation i'm not sure quantrill is as worth the risk the honorable mention in a points league at relief pitcher you have luis severino who also has sparp eligibility in that format. Yeah, and I kind of it's kind of a cop out to go with three sparps this year. Usually I try to find one closer who I think stands out more in points league versus roto, meaning a guy who's going to rack up a lot of saves but with pretty blah ratios. But I just don't think there is one right now. Uh the closest might be Dylan Floro, but I was going to say Mark Melanson, but how many saves but is he going to get? he's not going to rack up saves <laughs> exactly. with the Diamondbacks, I don't right. think. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good point. It's, that's fair. Uh, in a Roto Categories League, the relief pitcher standouts, you have Josh Hader, obviously. And again, if you're somebody who wants to be aggressive in a Categories League and draft Hader in the fourth or fifth round of a 12-team league, 
just realize that you should not do that in a points league. I mean, he should be devalued by a couple of rounds at least in that format. And then the other one here is Paul Seawald, Scott, who was awesome last year. Ridiculous slider, lots of strikeouts, awesome ratios, but really just doesn't do much for you in a points league. Relievers don't give you enough volume in 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 points leagues. Anyone, so anyone who doesn't get like they get all their points from saves, basically. That's not literally true, but that's more or less true. So no reliever who isn't getting saves matters in points leagues. Unless you have weird scoring and you know reward holds or something like that. But generally speaking, closers are the only true relievers that matter in points leagues. So somebody like Paul Seawalt, who might get some late round looks in a roto league, just doesn't deserve to in in a points league format. All right, Scott, let's get to that email. And Luis Garcia, we completely missed him in our starting pitcher previews. Uh, and this one came from Matt in Massachusetts. Uh, he just he said, I noticed it looks like he's ranked 430th ADP on Fantasy Pros, but 48th in their overall starting pitcher rankings. So uh, Luis Garcia was awesome last year for the Houston Astros, 3.48 ERA, a 1.18 whip, 167 strikeouts over 155 and a third innings pitched. 25 years old. He has this whole like rocking back and forth routine when he's on the mound. It's it's pretty unconventional, but it's fun to watch. It looks he's, like he's rocking a baby. Yeah. Uh, he's got five different pitches. He throws at least 9% of the time. A four-seam fastball, a cutter, a slider, a changeup, and a curveball. The only downside that I found, Scott, and I think it's fair of any young starting pitcher, 6.57 ERA, third time through the order. And I remember that that was consistent with his workload last year. A lot of five-inning starts. Uh, so I don't really know that we should expect a huge workload uh, this upcoming season for Luis Garcia. Yeah. I mean, in theory, he should be able to deliver. He should be able to build on last year's workload and deliver more innings than a year ago. But I have some questions about just how good he is. Certainly from the numbers, there's not much to complain about. I mean... The, the swinging strike rate was what you'd expect it to be for a guy who struck out 9.7 batters per nine. Actually, the swinging strike rate looks even better than that. And the fact he has five pitches, um, you know, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. It, it, might, it might be the key to his success ultimately. But it's not like he was some highly regarded prospect. You know, he had good numbers in the minors, but... Nobody was expecting him to turn in the kind of rookie season he ultimately did for the Astros. So when you add it all up, third time struggling the third time through the order in spite of having all those pitches, and uh, he really faded in the second half, um, ended up with an ERA around four, a whip around 1.3, only a strikeout per inning. I don't know. I, I just feel like we need I, I need more data before I feel comfortable recommending Luis Garcia as um, as sort of a fantasy mainstay. Now, for the cost, I mean, he's going in the same range as a lot of unproven guys. So I'm I'm not I'm not trying to like denigrate him relative to his where he's being drafted. I think it's totally fine. I'm just saying. Like I, I don't I don't think you want to um, you you don't want to put too much on him because there's still a lot that he needs to prove. The ADP is 148. He's going one spot behind Sean Manaya. Who would you rather have, Scotty? I'd rather have Manaya. Okay, he's going six spots ahead in ADP than Ranger Suarez. Come on, you know I want Ranger. <laughs> Got to make sure. So if you are drafting Luis Garcia, Scott, you want him as a bench option, maybe as your SP6 in a Roto League, something like that? Yeah, in a Roto League, um, I, I think sixth. You're talking about a 12-team Roto League. I think sixth is is about what I'm aiming for, yeah. I mean, it might end up being five. It might end up being, it probably wouldn't end up being seven. I probably would just, if I already had six pitchers at that point, I'd probably just let Luis Garcia go to somebody else. So I'll, I'll say fifth or sixth. Mm -hmm. The underlying numbers I'll mention for Luis Garcia, he had the 3.48 ERA, his XFIP, Sierra, XERA, 
they were all between 391 and 395. So those are yeah. the truest uh, descriptors or I guess, yeah, descriptors of a, of a pitcher's uh, skill set, the talent level, basically. And they said he was closer to a high four, uh, a high threes ERA, which even in this climate, like that's, you know, a usable, viable starting pitcher. But just realize, you know, there might be some regression coming for Luis Garcia. And there's also, there's, there's also more range. ERA has a wider range than any ERA estimator. So a 330 XFIP is really, really good. Even though a 330 ERA, you know it's good, but it 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 it, it means more in, in xFIP than it does in ERA, if that makes sense. So conversely, a 39 xFIP is worse if you look at an xFIP leaderboard than a 39 ERA would be. It's just the way that works. All right, because if you're if you're trying to normalize something, you tend to go. Toward the middle. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. <laughs> hopefully, you understand what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. So, yeah. hopefully, everyone out there understands as well. Overall, Luis Garcia, interesting pitcher, had an awesome year last year. Probably not going to be as good, but you need some strikeouts late. Uh, you, you don't want to depend on him as like one of your top five starting pitchers, but anything after that uh, is, is gravy for Luis Garcia. We're going to wrap there. For Scotty, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework.